And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Hello and welcome. Oh, you can feel the vibes already, everybody. I can't, I can't help it. Uh, hello, welcome to From the Rookery End, a podcast about a life uh, following Watford Football Club. Brought to you by The Athletic. And uh, Watford, oh, have just won a game. Uh, they nicked a game uh, way at Cardiff City with a goal from Adam Messina. 2-1 in the end. Uh, and it was a direct free kick. Uh, and we have to start. Oh, by the way, uh, Mike's here. Hello, Mike. Hello, mate. You all right? Yeah, yeah, good. Uh, Colin's here. Oh, good afternoon. And uh, good evening, Jason. Good evening. I always love it when we win in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. Yeah, and um, we, we had a, this morning on Twitter, I should put a thing out there and I just sort of said, you know, what are the, que- what, what are the questions we're going to be discussing in this podcast later on? And hat tip definitely towards uh, at Finland Hornet, Jason, who said, did we just actually score a di- from a direct free kick or was it a dream? And then he, had, of course, had an emoji with a, a face with a tongue hanging out. Uh, but you were right, Jace. Not only that, but you know when Watford do their where are you watching from and what do you think the score will be? Oh, yeah. He, said, he explained he is watching from Helsinki, hence his name, uh, Finland Hornet. Uh, and he predicted the score, 2-1 to Watford. So um, if it's not too late, Jason, if you could ping over the lottery numbers and what the stock market's going to be doing for the next uh, next couple of days, please do. Well done, Jason, who I think has uh, he's earned that uh, he's earned that win for Watford this afternoon, hasn't he? Yeah, well done, that man. All about you, Jason, but, but not you, Jason, here. Jason from Finland. <laughs> I was really going to the game. Everyone said, oh, it's a must win. It's a must win. And I've been really picky about language today. I don't know where this is coming from or why I sort of got it, but I didn't see it as a must win game. It, it was a win game game I always think a must win game is when there's literally no other choice it's a last game it's a cup final you have to do it but it was a big game it was a really entertaining game Mike and it was entertaining I think from the very first minute even though very early on it felt like it was going to be a long afternoon yeah, Watford are developing this rather nasty habit of treating us to entertaining games I don't know what's got into them recently it's uh uh, quite quite difficult to get my head around. But interesting, just to pick you up on that must-win game, it, very interesting to notice with Swansea and Brentford getting their wins, how quickly the, we all felt the pressure as supporters, because I think we were going into this weekend quite bullish, saying I, I sort of picked up on a little 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 shift, and it's interesting how the sort of peaks and troughs of this, of this championship uh, promotion race are going to continue. It's going to be like this week in, week out. So I think going into this weekend, we knew that it was, well, it definitely wasn't a must win. To win it would be a huge, huge statement of intent. Cardiff on this incredible unbeaten run, completely resurgent under Mick McCarthy. Combine that with the way they play the game, the questions that we know that we struggle that a team like Cardiff poses, namely sort of a quite a sort of physical approach with a heavy focus on set pieces. So we knew this was a massive challenge and it just felt like a big, big game, didn't it? And for them to come through it the way they did, I'm absolutely delighted. It's what a feeling, what a buzz. Because Colin, early on though, Cardiff were were doing, well, it was interesting, very early on, they, they sort of really were pushing us a lot of long balls, uh, not necessarily all set pieces, they get a few set pieces. And, and it took a while for Watford to sort of stamp and show, not stamp, but like to start playing their football. Yeah, I think that that's, I think that's right. And I think there's a reason for that. Because if you want to play the style of football that we play, i.e. we want to try and uh, gain control of the game through having possession of the ball, when you play a team like Cardiff that just come out of the traps like greyhounds and press you in your own half, press you on your own 18-yard line, you know they can't sustain that. So if you can weather that, for the first 20 minutes while we're all you know hiding behind our sofas thinking they're going to score two or three in the first 20 minutes if you're able to do that you take the sting out of them and eventually that did happen in the first half 
and you could see that we started to get possession of the ball further up the pitch around about the halfway line we started to knock the ball into Pedro who was playing as a number nine but as actually coming short at times and playing in that number 10 position and we, we started just to slowly slowly take control of the game throughout the first half I know there were two major incidents in the first half which I'm sure we'll talk about but just over the whole first half that pattern of play they came and they pressed us so hard and, and it did look like we we were not rabbits in headlights at all but we were trying to keep the ball in dangerous areas and one mistake and they're in and they can score and yes they do put a lot of high balls in a few a few <laughs> and they're physical they're classic championship side but actually they didn't really cause us that many problems and slowly but surely we worked our way into that first half and were able to get control of the ball I thought we were really impressive in that first half. And I think what we need, we quit, we knew we were going to have to find a way to unlock them because they, you know, we know exactly they're just very, very, very deep. They're happy for you to have the ball and you've got to somehow play through them. And I think there was a moment for me relatively early in the game when Adam Messina switched it. He pinged one from his left side over to the right-hand side and we got that right-hand side machinery going, the Kiko and Saar connection that has been so good for us this season and that sort of unlocked it a little bit we played a lovely I can't remember what 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 the move culminated in whether it did carve out a chance but there's a lovely little bit of football and we got a shot off or whatever and we thought right if we play football if we stay on the on the front foot we're too good for this Cardiff side and once again and, and this is sounds very very weird for me to be continually saying it we looked like we could score at will going forward. We looked, or at least we were going to create chances that that were serious goal-scoring threats. And we probably, we certainly didn't work the goalkeeper enough in the second half. But in the first half, every time we went over the over the over the halfway line, really, or certainly into the final third, we looked at we looked a real threat. And and that first half performance was was exciting from that that point of view for me. Mike makes a good point with the fullbacks mentioning both fullback segs. I think they were the key to unlocking. Cardiff today if you if you look when we had the ball they pretty much set up a back five even a back six at times and sort of got lots of bodies into the box and both Sarah and, and Ken probably had frustrating games today where they didn't quite get the space or the opportunities that they would normally do so it needed the full backs to get involved in the game high up the pitch to sort of free them up and to to try and make something happen what we've become better at, if you compare this to the Wickham game, when we played Wickham, I think it was at Adams Park, the first time where Akin Fenway just sort of bullied us. And we now defend better against these physical sides, against these high balls. But what we are able to do now, which is actually more important uh, uh, from the defending against uh, teams who play the way that Cardiff do, is that we're able to, well, we have the confidence, if you like, to commit bodies forward. Mike and Jason are both absolutely right. As soon as we got the ball into our final into the the final third they looked really shaky and we started to move the ball quite quickly some one touch passing Tommy Mooney was was you know was asking for that on the commentary and then we started to deliver it and suddenly we could we looked like we could open up a side that was determined to put you know six seven men behind the ball in their box and we still looked like we were in a position where we could open them up and we just looked so much better we listened to we looked like a proper footballing side that have aspirations to play in the Premier League and they looked like a championship team that have been on a good run but actually, there wasn't much quality there. And I thought in commentary, they, they kept going on about the back three, that if you put a high ball in, then they're fine. They can head that away. They can deal with that quite happily. If you play the ball in around their feet, they just look like, a, like, a, you know, like an accident waiting to happen. And we, in the past, have got sucked into playing balls into the box against three enormous centre-backs when we've got, you know, tiny strikers. And this time we didn't do that. We kept the ball on the deck. We used Saar for many are coming on the overlap, you know, and on the other side, Messina, but then also Zinkenagel and Pedro coming short, picking the ball up, Hughes being the kind of pivot and pinnacle, you know, the kind of the fulcrum of everything we did. And we were able to, we were really able to put them under pressure for long periods in their own third. And that's not something we've seen all season by any means. And it, it just felt like, that goals were there to be had. It was frustrating that we that we had to wait so long for that that second goal. Jason, of course, we did go behind. Uh, it was an own goal, um, so Cardiff de- technically uh, he didn't score today. Um, but Jason, it, it, nothing he could have done about that really at that point, at least when the ball was coming across. He had to attack that ball. Yeah, if he doesn't, if he doesn't go for it, then Kiefer Moore's got a tap in at the far post. I think the, the problem about the goal we conceded was we gave Murphy way too much space. 
over on the on their left hand side. Ridiculous amount of space. We weren't we weren't organised, weren't set as a as a back four, and we found ourselves in a in a two on two situation deep in our half. And that's 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 poor defending. You can't blame Sierra Alta, but maybe just the general organisation of the defence was the issue there. And then Mike, the man with the band on today, the armband. Not that he was swimming. It was rainy. But anyway, the <laughs> Nathaniel Chalabar. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you heard the shout and then you saw the goal. He took it by the scruff of the neck, didn't he? Yeah, and how how important. I mean, we we've been we've you know waxed lyrical about how good the Watford performance was, but of course, certainly in the first half, but of course we went behind. And to go behind somewhere like Cardiff, who play the way they do on in the form they're in. That laid down a massive challenge and he did feel that after for all the sort of good work that we'd done and for all the sort of the, the good shape we had and the good movement we had certainly down the right, we had to hit back quickly and we did just that. And what a goal from, from Chalabar. What an absolute wonderful piece of skill to, to take two defenders out of the game from a basically point blank range. It was less skill, more sort of close up magic, wasn't it? And <laughs> just managed to, to, to get the ball just at, at far enough for him in front of him to, to, to unleash a, a perfect shot into the bottom left hand corner. Keeper had absolutely no chance. But I did wonder when you saw Chalabar being given the captain's armband. What I really wanted to see from Nathaniel Chalabar, because his performances have definitely improved over the last sort of month, six weeks or so, has been a, a step up in terms of maturity. He's got lots of experience, so let's see less sort of narky little fouls, less complaining to the ref and more giving to the team in terms of what you can bring, you know, be, be calm, be sensible. Having missed out on the last two games and seen Watford win, he will have been desperate to get back in and, and make an impact. When I saw the C next to his name on the team shot, I thought that is a canny move from Cisco to give him that faith. And I thought that he, he played like a man who had something to prove, certainly in that first half. And to cap it off with that wonderful bit of skill uh, and that, that arrow-like finish to, to get Watford straight back into the game could turn out to be one of the most important goals of the season, even more important than the winner, because arguably you don't hit back quickly against someone like Cardiff. It can go south very, very quickly. So I absolutely take my hat off to him. A, a wonderful goal at a, such a vital, vital moment and just so thrilling that we were able to do it and we we deserved that sort of goal because we had like like Colin said we we made them look nervous at the back without pumping high balls in with playing proper football the fact that we we really earned that goal sort of 10 15 minutes previous i think but yeah delighted for Chalabar and hopefully like everyone else has been building on their confidence i think we've talked about Saar previously we've talked about Zinkenagel getting better well there's a little cherry on the on the cake for for Nate Chalabar and hopefully he can kick on for the for the remaining 10 games and be the player that we we really know he can be. Jason, you know, from that point on, you know, as we, we, we've been saying, Watford were the ones who were looking threatening. They were looking like they're, they're basically, almost, not, not exact, exactly, but we, were, we go forward, we could score a goal. And it didn't quite go that way. Uh, we didn't quite get as many chances as we were making. I, I started to get a little frustrated. Or maybe I was just starting to accept that we just didn't have that dynamic up front, even though Jao Pedro just looked the most confident striker. He just wanted to get the ball in my feet and I'll, I'll kick it towards the goal. Even made his own overhead kick, which would have been spectacular if he did that. You know, but we were lacking a little bit in terms of making something happen in that second half. And could you call it a bit of an average second half? Yeah, I suppose it, I suppose it was. There's always that risk when you, if you've had a good, good spell of possession, if you've been the dominant team in the first half, but you're you're still level. You've not made it count as much as you would like it to. There's always that risk that manager of the opposition will get them in at half time, and we know Mick McCarthy is a canny manager. Mick McCarthy wasn't it? Doc Brown from Back to the Future. <laughs> uh, he'll, he'll be wishing he could go Back to the Future after the uh, after the result tonight. Yeah, there's always that risk, and and whilst Cardiff weren't threatening you've always got that doubt in the back of your mind the way they were playing playing to their strengths still lumping the ball forward quickly up to Kiefer Moore all it takes is sort of one clever flick on one slip from one of our defenders and Murphy's got pace as we know he could get in behind and 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 nick one and then we've got to do it all over again we've got to try and unlock them again and and again Cardiff are setting up getting bodies Back. As soon as we get the ball, getting bodies back into the box, five at the back, midfield sitting in front of them. And that was part of the reason why we struggled to 
to sort of get that or put that ball in the back of the net, having had so much of the possession. Chances were sort of half chances, things we were trying to fashion and set ourselves. The goal itself from Chalabur was a good move. move, flicking it to his right, to his left, back to his right to take a couple of defenders out of the game to make the space. Pedro with his overhead kick that he, I think he, he generated himself again, sort of difficult to execute. Hard to defend, but they, they defended the, the simple chances. He had to make something, fashion something for himself. So it's, it, it was never going to be easy. And I think for all our, our good football, the way Cardiff play it, and exactly the same as the home game. And Mike's absolutely right about the point of if we hadn't got back into it quickly, it would have been so, so much harder as they showed at Vicarage Road. So it was always, it was never a fait accompli that we were going to go on and win it. It was always going to be difficult. As I said, Ken and Ishmael Asar both frustrated because they didn't get get perhaps the space that they would get in other games playing against other teams. Cardiff congested in those areas. We know those guys like to try and get inside, play a bit narrower, support Pedro. But with Cardiff with bodies there, makes it so, so much harder. So it was always going to be, not a struggle, but it, it was going to be a challenge. It was going to be difficult to try and get something in that second half. John, can I, can I ask you, John, how you felt just going into half-time? My, my big thing about it was, having gone to Vicarage Road for the, the reverse fixture and it being terrible, it was almost like I don't want the, the whole thing. If, if they hadn't learnt from playing Cardiff, because they, yeah. were, they were just a classic... We went, they went one up and that was the most awful game of football <laughs> from the point of view of them just being those types of players who are big, physical... Niggly, 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 all over the place. Just, just, it was a boring game of football. And I just wished, just maybe just to make that one chance, probably my only chance to be at Vicarage Road this year. As long as we learnt from that and we played better, that was my first win of the game. But you, I had that very championship sidey um, opponents in my head. So the, the, the hope was, or, and no, maybe, maybe more, than, more than hope. It was like, I can see why we're going to win this game. I can't see how you're going to win this game. You mm. could win the game. Of course you could. But I can see how we yeah. will become, become the victors. And we did start to see that in the second half. question is, when did we all, come on now, honestly, Colin, when did you get to the point of going, sorry, right, I'll take a draw? No, didn't. Didn't. You did. Have you said it on the WhatsApp group. I, I did say I'd be happy you with did. the. Oh, I'm finding I the. Said I'd be ha- no, no, that's not fair because that's different. I said I'd be happy with the point at this stage. But okay. I didn't stop believing okay. because I just thought that what was interesting about the second half, second halves like that, we were teed up to come out and win that game. Everyone would agree with that, I think. You know, yeah. with the chances that Mike's just yeah. described, we went in at half time. You think, okay, Cisco's got them. You say, just do what you do again. They weren't, they've gonna, they're not going to come out with the same energy they came out with at the beginning. So they're not going to press you as hard at the beginning of the second half as they did at the first half. And they tried to, but they were pressing us kind of halfway between the centre line and our box. In the first half, they were trying to press us on our own 18-yard line. So they were, they were certainly getting either more tired or more cautious or whatever. And you think, right, get out, score a goal before 50 minutes, and then you take real control of the match. But we didn't do that. And if you don't do that, What's important is that the team just remains patient. Be patient. You know that the, their only out is a ball over the top. So you have to make sure that you don't make a mistake in, in that regard and give them an easy goal. But what you can do is you can slowly, with your patience, increase the pressure, increase the pressure. And even though we didn't really carve out many chances in that 45 minutes before the last, you know, the five minutes of injury time, we were really the only team that looked like we were going to shape or, you know, make a goal. And I didn't, I just, I just thought all the way through it, I was worried that we might leave the back door open, of course, because I'm a Watford fan and, uh, and, and, and uh, that we might slip or make a mistake. I can remember the Everton game uh, last season, which was, you know, a catastrophe. And you can see that happening. Uh, and it's happened to us uh, on one or two occasions this season where we've let in a very late goal. But this time I just thought there's got to be a way through this Cardiff defence. They look nervous. They look tired out. They look exhausted chasing our players and and eventually an opportunity arose and not one that I think any of us would have expected. Uh, I think you're lying there, Colin. I think you're lying there. I think you did expect it and then you knew what was going to happen. What happened, Colin? <laughs> when that free kick went in, you were probably the only one. When, I, when, I, when we scored it, I shouted. My whole family jumped with my shout of, of glee. <laughs> did you have a shout of glee, Colin, when the free kick went in? It was very confusing because I, I had the game on my laptop 
uh, with Hornet Hive. And in the background, because I was in my sitting room, and in the background I had the telly on and I had the BT Goals um, program on because obviously it's sort of monitoring other things. And then suddenly, when when we've won the free kick, it pops up in the bottom right-hand corner, goal alert, Watford. And I turned to Lily, who was watching it with me, and I said, we score from this. <laughs> so so uh, we just sat very calmly watching my laptop, waiting for whatever was about to happen. Obviously, we didn't know what the nature of the goal was. but we. So I didn't have that moment of explosion, but I just had that quiet sense of satisfaction that I was about to watch Watford score as if I'd <laughs> rolled time back and I knew the result or rolled it forward and I knew what was going to happen before it had happened. And that was really incredibly pleasurable. Was it all just a... Oh, lovely. What would have scored? <laughs> well, I, didn't, I didn't know. I, I was hoping Andre might get it. I thought it might be one of those ones where he just smashes it in and then the ball pings around and it goes in off somebody. But I didn't. I wasn't really expecting Messina to hit it so hard and completely just straight through, like a penalty almost, just straight through the keeper. We took delivery of a new um, desk today. Very nice it is too. Sat at it right now. So it's now the lucky desk. Uh, 100% in red. But it's packed with some really, really big bits of polystyrene that are just left in the kitchen while I watch the game. They are now very, very small pieces of polystyrene <laughs> that are going to take a significant amount of time to clean up due to the uh, slightly more exuberant celebration at this end. But I, what I did want to pick up on, Colin, was that you were talking about Watford uh, needing to stay alert. And I, I texted the WhatsApp group, I'll... I'll come clean with my text before I get outed by by John towards you know probably 93 minutes saying how I was a little bit disappointed with the with the Watford second half showing because yes you have to caveat everything with you're playing a decent side very set up very difficult to to play against very difficult to carve out chances again in a rich run of form but for all their possession Watford didn't really force a, a save for the entirety of the 45 minutes of the second 45 minutes and there was a very, very peculiar phase of play. I think it was around about the 70-minute mark. And, and Colin sort of mentioned there about Watford sort of almost switching off for a bit and allowing a silly goal. And it felt like we, we did that. There was an attack down the left and we kind of got a boot in and then we were slow. We got, we got the tackle in and it looked like we should regain possession and we were slow to pick it up. And they got, they got it back again. And it just felt like, come on, we need to, we need to stay in the game. And there was a 10-minute real lull where it felt like they weren't weren't at the races at all and it felt like for all that all the good work that they'd done in the first half in terms of finding a way to unlock this obdurate defense and you know Kiko Firmenia again absolutely sensational in in everything he does almost exclusively everything he does is, is there brilliant. There was one moment in that game with Kiko where the ball sort of because way the camera angle the ball sort of came in to the Cardiff box and it sort of got knocked out and there was a Watford player there I can't remember I think it was I think it was in Canaga and he was almost like oh I'll go and oh no it's alright and you look you think Kiko's not going to get that oh my god look at him go yeah. and he went bang yeah. and he went bang <laughs> straight in and you think well, wow he just, his level of class yeah. was really clear today and 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 he was, but there was just a, a few sort of. It was like a little bit drifty at times, I think. And you can't overstate how difficult Cardiff are to play at. You know, Saar kept having to come inside. Ken, when he was on, had to had to kept coming inside. They, I just thought, I just felt it was a slightly disappointing second half. I thought um, Isaac's success when he came on didn't really make much of an impact. Which I don't know. You can you can probably understand why. If we're, going to fight, if we're going to go forward to the 95th minute and, and, the, and the free kick, Ismail Assar, who didn't have his, his best game, certainly his best second 45 minutes, the fact that he still managed to get himself into that position yeah. on the edge of the box in the 93rd, 94th minute, ahead of the defender, made him make a tackle, won that free kick. I think it just speaks volumes for where um, Ismail Assar is as a player and how he's come on this season. Because you know any other player doesn't hasn't got the pace um, to get to get that side in the, in the in the first place, let alone in the in the ninety third ninety fourth minute. So I thought that we must stick a flag in that because whilst it wasn't his, it won't be a game that goes down long in the memory in terms of his overall contribution. To, for him to be there at the end, still asking questions, which is what we are, we we wanted this Watford attack to do. I suppose that's what I mean about patience, is that we didn't get involved in any scraps really. 
um, one little one right at the end. We, we were able to keep playing football and it was in fact a player with that calmness of attitude and that belief to still try and beat a man on the edge of the box and get past the second man and get tripped up rather than just trying to knock long balls into, into the box or, or kick it towards the goal or take shots from improbable angles or distances. He was still, we were still looking to find that little opening, to find a little crack in their armour by committing men into the box and 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 as Mike points out, you know, Saar just getting getting the ball at his feet, running at a player, doing what he does best, winning the foul and leaving uh, the climax moment to Adam Messina. Go on, Jace. What did you think? What what, what are you expecting him to do with that free kick? Was it to cross it? Was it to have a go? And was was he? Do you do you think he actually meant to do that as a shot? Re, you know, directly as a shot to score a goal, or was he? Aiming for that, just whack it in there, bounce it off, and Andre get at the end of it. What, what, what do you reckon? Well, given given, I think his performance up to that point wasn't a classic. I think he'd, he'd spent a lot of uh, a lot of the game hammering early crosses into into no one in particular, um, particularly in the first half. There seemed to be a few aimless ones, sort of just just pinging onto the edge of the box, and that were easily cleared by Cardiff. So. My my expectations were low, and given our recent history and not so recent history with with free kicks, it's been that long. It was a strange kind of free kick, wasn't it? Because it it never really got up. You, you say when you when you've got a free kick close to the edge of the box, you've got to get it up and down. I don't think he actually got it up. It just all went round the wall. So perhaps he was just using the wall to try and disguise it a bit from the keeper. But the keeper had a pretty good pretty good view of it. The wall wasn't wide enough. It wasn't wide enough. They had three men in the wall. He had he had more than half the goal to shoot at. The wall was definitely at full. That's why I think they made a mistake. Should put five men in that wall, so he could hit it low. So that's two two errors from the keeper. Yeah, the two errors from the keeper then, because the keeper should be telling his wall how many people he needs in there and where it should be set up. And then he just he he still should have saved it. He's then dived under it. It's just incredible. Well, I think he was he was almost ready for a, a some sort of deflection, wasn't he? He was setting himself as as if as if someone was going to get a nod on it. Yeah, he was underneath the ball as it went in, and so he was like he was coming back. But who cares? Who cares? We should. We should cares. <laughs> and it's very unWatfordy. It's very unWatfordy thing to do. But also, he hit it. He must, you know, give credit to Messina. He saw the wall was too narrow. So he, from where he was standing, he thought, "I can see half the goal, maybe more mm. than half. Mm. I can see the keeper." I don't have to get it up and down. I need to hit this flat and as hard as yeah. I can and see, which is exactly what he did. And he hit it really, really hard. Mm. It wasn't dinked. It wasn't sort of floated. It was absolutely smashed. And he could do that on target because the wall wasn't wide enough and gave him an opportunity to do that. And it caused, you know, obviously caused absolute mayhem because it just sort of blasted through everybody and into the back of the net. It was just wonderful. <laughs> absolutely brilliant and uh, I think we deserved it to be fair I really think we deserved absolutely. that little bit of good fortune because we had really shown that we we are a team that can play football that has we have pretensions to play at the, at the top level in the Premier League and you compare it to a team like Cardiff who play the way they play and there's nothing wrong with that no. but if Cardiff were to get in the playoffs and get promoted you know, that, that team's not capable of playing against even teams like Palace and Burnley and, you know, Brighton, Southampton. Just they haven't got the skill level, particularly in their defence, in their defenders to, to, to make a fist of it. Whereas we suddenly are starting to look like a team that can move the ball well, we can defend well, we can create chances. We're starting to look more like a team that might be capable of of you know of doing well if we were to go to go up this season. The fact that we were still playing football right until the end, and we've got that t- we're utilising the talent we have is it is how that's you earn your luck. A, a goalkeeping error perhaps, but that was a free kick one in an exceptionally dangerous position through us, as Colin rightly said, trying to play football right and right until the end. What was not even more pleasing, but equally as pleasing, with the the celebrations after that goal. And just the, the the togetherness of the bench, the substitutes, the team—they were together. Saw I saw the celebrations there at the end, and it uh, the Bolton game from the promotion season immediately came to mind. Ismail Lassar was absolutely bellowing. You know, I saw someone uh, asking uh, who's who's heavier, Lamb of God or Ramstein, after we talked about Daniel Batman sounding like the uh, the lead singer of uh, Lamb, Lamb of God the other week. Well, it looked like Ismail Assar was auditioning to be a, a heavy metal frontman with just the sheer exhalation of <laughs> delight slash fury slash whatever it was. And we spoke after the after the Bournemouth game where emotions were still pretty high, weren't we? And we said, well, I'll tell you what, I'm glad that they've gone in there 
together and they stood shoulder to shoulder and they stood up to those nasty little pieces of work and they've they've <laughs> they've gone in as a team and they've lost as a team and they well, let's hope that they they build from that and lo and behold what is it two weeks after there's similar similar sort of scenes on the touchline but this time it's us celebrating and it's those same guys stood shoulder to shoulder not bellowing out of frustration this time but bellowing out of, out of delight and bellowing out of delight that they earned it they kept going from minute one to minute 95 and they ground out a win against a team who is on a fine fine run of form um, against a, a, a head coach who knows exactly what he's doing, bunch of players who are incredibly difficult to, to play against, and they've kept going. And once again, they've stood shoulder to shoulder and they've triumphed. And that, not just for us, you know, you can tell how excited I am, how pleased we all are. But that sends out a whopping great message to the rest of the division, who for probably two thirds of the season would have discounted us, watched us, you know, it has been quite funny us complaining about Swansea's penalties or the amount of penalties that we relied on to win those turgid games earlier in the season. We were sort of more a, an inconvenience earlier in the season. Now we look like a, a, a sort of articulated lorry uh, with the livery just all nice, shiny and polished, turning up last minute at the articulated sh- lorry tr- show. Um, and we look like we can, we, we're in a, with a real... We're just going to steamroller the opposition. That is just an, I mean, that is the worst um, phraseology I think I've ever used. And in 10 years of this podcast, that's, that's saying something. But we'd have been discounted for a lot, long, long swathes of this season. And all of a sudden, look at us now. Roaring, winning games in the, in the last minute. Absolutely scaring the bejesus out of every, every opposition defence we play against. This is a real team playing real football at the business end of the season. And people will have noticed that today. They will have heard those cheers. They will have seen those scenes. They will have seen that Watford group celebrating, all 20 of them together, roaring on the sidelines. And that wasn't just a message to Cardiff City. That was a message to the rest of the championship. We're here. We mean business. And this is going to be an exciting final 10 games. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. From the Rookery End, a podcast about life following Watford FC. Thank you to everybody who got involved with the prostate cancer quiz last Monday. Uh, it was a joy to, to see you all taking part. Well done to Graham Cagill. Uh, he scored 2,644 points uh, and was the winner of the quiz. And he goes forward to the grand final uh, and represents Watford. Uh, you, you never know, he might win £1,000. Uh, but thank you again for everyone who took part and donated to prostate cancer. If you, It was only open to, to subscribers. Uh, and if you aren't subscribing at the moment, then please head over to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end uh, and give it a go. Give it a whirl. Uh, it's currently only three ninety nine a month for the first six months. That's about 40% off. Uh, and you get to to enjoy the great analysis and in-depth features from some of the world's best writers in sport. So go to theathletic.com for such recommend to take up that offer. From the Rookerin, we, we come every week, uh, um, twice a week, most weeks, uh, and we, we talk about football, we talk about Watford, that uh, we are Watford fans. Uh, and we're not a, a political or we're not a, a newsy podcast, but this moment we sort of wanted to talk about something but mainly give someone a voice about something that's happened this week. Everyone was probably aware of the death of Sarah Everard, um, who was attacked and murdered. Uh, and, you know, we wouldn't have talked about that. But a friend of ours, Kate Lewis, um, she put out a fantastic thread, uh, sort of bringing that world into the football world and about how she feels as a lady going to football and actually not going to football uh, because of how she feels. Um, I know plenty of, of, of women who I know this week who have talked about this, this incident and, and shared their stories of walking down the road uh, and feeling vulnerable for no reason really whatsoever, and, and they shouldn't do. But Kate shared her story, and we asked her to tell us her story 
in the audio form so we could share with it with you here on the podcast. Like every other woman who has been sharing her story on social media this week, I also have stories about being followed home, feeling unsafe on the streets after dark, asking male friends to walk me home, even though it's men themselves who are the problem. Last Saturday, I was on Watford's Hive Live, talking about International Women's Day from the perspective of being a female football fan. I would like to talk specifically about one question I was asked. I was asked how I feel, as a female football fan, attending away games. For the short amount of time we were given, I wanted to keep it as a positive discussion, focus on how far we've come with regards to women in football. But, as Tommy Mooney rightly pointed out, the progress is there, but it is slow, and it is not all positive. I noted, briefly, how I had never been to an away game alone, and I would never go to an away game without a male friend going along with me. This is not because I feel unsafe in the stands. On the contrary, it's the opposite. I am home, I am with my Watford family, and bound by the unbreakable bond that being a football fan creates. However, the same cannot be said for my journeys to and from the grounds. Travelling to an away game involves going somewhere unfamiliar, where, if we are followed on the way back to our cars or to the station, we do not know where the safest place to run is. We do not know anyone in the area to call on for help, and the person we do find could be in on it for all we know, because that's how paranoid feeling unsafe in the streets makes us. And as the football season is the wrong side of daylight savings for the most part, we do this in the dark, beyond women's self-imposed curfew. And it breaks my heart, but more than that, it makes me so blooming angry. My heart breaks for Sarah Everard, the fear she must have felt in those last few moments of her life. I can't. She was just walking home, and I am so, so sorry for her loved ones and what they must be going through right now. I want to call on everyone, but I appreciate my reach isn't all that much. But I do know I have a few football fans who follow me, and the lovely guys at From the Rookery End are giving me this chance to get my message across. And so I would like to call upon you, the listeners. So, to my male football fans, friends and followers and listeners, help Help us to feel safe in spaces that you don't even think twice about attending alone. Talk to your male friends. Call them out if they say something inappropriate. And talk to your female friends. You may feel like you're already an ally, but chances are you could do more. So do more. We don't need performative allyship. Don't just speak up on social media or around your female friends to appear like a nice guy, but have private conversations with your mates. They will be hard, they will be uncomfortable and they will be difficult, but you have to talk because there is no way that none of you do not know someone who has made a woman feel uncomfortable. As a woman, sometimes it's all we do is talk about it. If you have a platform of any description your Twitter or Instagram feeds, you write a blog, host a podcast, work with a football club, whatever. Use it to talk about this issue, implement changes, call for action. Ultimately, help women feel safer. And what could football clubs do to make the experience safer for us? Well, when we can go back to stadiums, make it obvious to us women how safe we are under your watch. Let us know you've got our backs and how. You want to see more of us in the stands? Then do everything you can to make the streets and communities around your club safe. Please. I know football clubs are not involved in what happened to Sarah, but this feels like a community I can call upon to help. I should be able to experience the away day buzz in the same way my male friends do. Thank you. I found it heartbreaking that Kate said that she'd never been to an away game either on her own or in fact without a male friend and I think that that is something that football to bring it back to football it can do more so for instance if you go to uh, Aston Villa say and you go to Birmingham New Street and you get on a tram the football clubs could provide safe areas for women to gather before going doing the last part of the journey to the ground they could have areas outside the ground there's definitely more that football can do because we all want to see more women at football, don't we? I mean, we take our daughters. We hope our daughters will grow up to be football fans. It, it's just 
takes away from some of the toxicity of uh, of the sort of the male, the young, particularly the young males, and the, some of the attitudes that those crowds have. And I just think it would be a, a wonderful thing. And I think that it, it, football can has really got a role uh, in this. With my daughters, they have been to games. They've been to Vicarage Road on their own. They went on the train and they they went because I couldn't go. And in fact, Florence once took the train to Wolverhampton and I met her there. But I did feel a bit uncomfortable, but it was just something that, you know, there was no other way of doing it. And then one of my friends sort of met her at the station and so on. So we kind of organised it for her. But yeah, on the whole, I think I'm more concerned suddenly about my daughters and how they approach being out on their own or with their friends. It's 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 horrible that we have to discuss it, think about it. But as Lily said to me this afternoon, we went down to get her passport photos done. She said, I have to think about all sorts of things that my male counterpart doesn't have to think about. She said that, she, you know, she read stuff from women who said, this is what, you know, when you get in your car, i.e. when you're a bit older and you've got a car, you check the in the back seat or you check the boot isn't open. You check things before you get in the car. Not something you would ever, your son would ever expect to think about. It's these kind of things that are, are very societal. And, and, and then you get a case like this, this awful case uh, of this, uh, this poor lady. And it just brings it very much back into everyone's consciousness. It's very hard to know how we can move forward as a society and make the, safe, uh, the streets safer. I th- I'm so grateful to Kate for taking the time to put her head above the parapet, really, and to, and to say what she said in such a, um, an articulate, measured, thoughtful and a thought-provoking way. Because I think, you know, we often talk about the football family and then you, you drill that down to the Watford family. And we're very proud of the of the atmosphere and of the the the, the family ethic that that Watford instills but hearing Kate sort of elaborate really about what her football supporting life is like and it's pretty clear that whilst we think you know certainly Watford are doing a reasonable job we're not there yet are we if Kate has to say the things she's she said we're we're definitely not there and I think our first job as as football supporters as Watford supporters is to sit listen and take on board everything that Kate and fellow supporters have said because Kate is by no means alone in in having those thoughts those experiences and those feelings so everyone we're in this together so everyone that hasn't had to experience that has a responsibility I think to to stop think take it on board let it percolate in your head just absorb it understand that Going to football as a girl, a female, is not the same as going as a man. That's the bottom line. And, you know, it doesn't have to be massive changes, I don't think, but just understand that. And I think that is a great point to start from. And I'm so, so grateful for Kate and the other people that have that have spoken up and, and brought it into the football arena because it gives it some context. It gives, you know, it's where there's a lot of blokes together and some girls together. Um, in everyday life, and you know, it, it's it is everyday life for for, for girls and, and women. It just that that's the reality, and it absolutely shouldn't be. And it's not going to change overnight, unfortunately. But what is what could be a massive step is, like I say, listen and try and understand. And I certainly will be doing that because we, you know, when I go off to football, I've often talked about it on the podcast about how I wake up on a Saturday morning. If it's a normal match day going uh, match during normal circumstances, I'm excited because of the game and I'm either getting the train with a few beers and I'll get home whenever I get home. If we've won, we might end up going on somewhere afterwards. But the, the basically, the, all I have to worry about is don't lose my bank card, don't lose my car keys and get home on the same day that I set off. That's all I have to worry about. And that obviously isn't the case for a, a huge part of the football supporting population. And that isn't isn't right. So I think, I, again, thank you to Kate. And let's just stop, think, listen. And I think if we've got any ideas um, about how we can make life better and more enjoyable and more equitable, really, as a female supporter, fo- football supporter, then let's do whatever we can. It's not about being woke. It's not about bending over backwards to change the experience. It's about making sure that uh, if I was a girl, I have the same enjoyment as I do if I was as a boy. It's as simple as that, and we we have to we have to help. It's been a year 
since any of us went to a, a football match with a with a full stadium. Uh, the last game with the away game uh, at Crystal Palace was just uh, a year and a week ago. One thing that came up in the conversations uh, it was what what's the game you wished you had gone to uh, had an impact on as a fan, experienced the moment that you would wanted to. Jason, what game did you really want to be at, and you you, you would have loved to have been at in the last year? I would have loved to have been at the um, the Stoke game at home. It was okay. one of those. You're surprised. I, okay, no, I, I tell you why because it's um, it was one of those topsy turvy games where you sort of experience the full range of emotions. I think we we were down a goal pretty early on, and that sort of frustration we'd have felt being in the ground. Obviously, got back into the game, got ourselves in front. Then late on, we found ourselves pegged back again. A, a, a quality goal I think it was from Powell at the time and then of course towards the end a bit like today we kept going and Saar got the winner um, and just again that that sort of rush of emotion that we would have felt against uh, a team that I think were up around near where we were at the time um, one that we would have considered a rival and got one over in a topsy-turvy game it's that sort of thing where you experience the full range of emotions I'd have enjoyed being at that one Chase you're so, you have taken on the role of from the rookery ends hipster. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really, really fancied the authenticity of the Stoke game, you know. Yeah, that's, that's the one I, I really missed out on. I mean, there was an absolute landslide on this one on, on Twitter. It was from the minute we pressed send on the tweet, um, there was, yeah, there was one team that, that, that was by far and away outweighed all the others in the mentions. It was the home win against our friend from up the road. It was, um, that's the one that, that, that most people definitely wanted wanted to be at and then doing a close second understandably was of course the uh the bristol city game because watford scored a, a hat full of goals and i at one stage in that game thought that that could be a that could be a record equaling or record setting performance such was watford's dom- dominance and bristol city's hapless performance but the one i would have liked to have been at and you've seen many but, games though mike haven't you you've been to put all the you've home been at all the games mike yeah. <laughs> not the way all the home games i've not been to the one. home ones yeah so i'm being really greedy i want more i want more but I would have loved to have been at the Coventry game because much like J- Jason sort of, I'm going to be the hipster here. My God. I am never happier than <laughs> venting my spleen at some away game where I've spent far too much money to get there, had a couple of pints before, spent money on terrible food and then watched a t- an even worse game. I am never happier than sat there <laughs> shouting from the top of my lungs to minute naught to minute 90 and that was an absolute prime candidate for me to get stuck into my beloved heroes in yellow or white or black, whatever it was they were wearing that day so sometimes the worst games are the best games to be at aren't they so I would have I'd have chosen to be at that that Coventry game what about you John I don't think I, I don't know if I'm surprised by that I shouldn't be surprised <laughs> by that mine is, mine is the Arsenal game mine is the Arsenal game because you look at that game and you think we could have an impact on that game uh, yes it would have been lovely to see Luton yes it would have been lovely to see Bristol City it would not have been lovely to be at, but my, uh, at Coventry Michael you weirdo <laughs> but that game you know we went behind really early they scored a second they scored a third and we're behind 3-0. But then, Deeney gets the penalty just for half-time. We get the goal in the 66th minute. There is a long time to go. And a, an away day, Watford corner at the Emirates could have had a massive impact on that game because we know how quiet the Emirates can go if they start getting a bit tetchy. So I think we could have had an impact on that game. And I think that's the game I, I would have liked to have been at. Because I think we would have done something. And you never know, that would have been the point that made us stay in the Premier League. M- Colin, what about you? I definitely would have picked today because there's uh, Jason's game is great and last minute winners at home can be uh, you know it's such a, a fantastic you know upsurge of emotion adrenaline you've got the whole of the rookery on its feet singing screaming and everything but there is something about a last minute winner at an away game when you're just praying that that goal will come and, and then it finally it does and and there's just there's a smaller group of you and you're stuck in one corner of an enormous stadium and then you see all the miserable faces on the home fans which gives you even more joy and you just dance and cheer and sing and then you stay there for half an hour until they let all the home fans oh, go yeah, I get it. and then um, and then you get on the train and you've got that that enormous buzz of and that bubble of energy and excitement and joy that gets you all the way home from you know from South Wales so and also because it's the latest game and it's if if we'd been following this whole season you know when when uh, when we lost to Bournemouth uh, we had 13 games to go and Mike said I think we're going to need nine wins from those 13 games 
We've got three of them, and this was the third. And you just get start to feel that momentum as we go into the last ten games. And and to get this winner today, I would I would be absolutely buzzing in some uh, either on the train with a few uh, beers, or possibly in a pub somewhere in in the outskirts of Cardiff, or whatever you know, whatever the circumstances of the journey home. It would just have that feel like, right, come on, can't wait for Tuesday night. We've got this last minute winner. We weren't really expecting it. And then it happened. And, you know, so I think for me, it's just because it's the arc of the uh, of the season and the, where we are at the moment, I think today would have been the game I'd like to have been at. Well, we, we hope to be back uh, on Tuesday night with another podcast um, because Watford are due to play Rotherham away, uh, but they haven't played for a while because of their COVID. And we, we, we're still not 100% sure, but hopefully they are. Uh, and uh, hopefully it'll be another win because, you know, it's just a great feeling. And we're really enjoying doing it at the moment. It's brilliant. Thank you very much, Jason, for your time. Thank you. You've been listening to From the Hipster End. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you, Colin. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you, Michael. Thanks very much. Before I go, I, I did dedicate the the Bournemouth podcast to to my mum, um, which she loved, by the way. She absolutely loved the uh, the infamy of being the uh, cherry squasher. But um, I wanted to dedicate this podcast to our very very good friend Kieran because um, I'm sure he won't mind you me sharing the fact that he lost his dad to COVID almost a year ago now, and we've been busy celebrating the the year anniversary of the Liverpool game, obviously a monumental game and a hugely uh, memorable game for a host of reasons. But that was Kieran's dad's last ever game for Watford. So hugely sad um, and an emotional time for Kieran and his his family. And and as we sort of work really hard to come out of lockdown and and, and move away from the the pandemic, there's some people's families who will will never be the same. And and sadly, Kieran's family is one of those and he's um remained dignified and graceful and supportive to us throughout throughout this time um so i just wanted to say to kieran that whilst we're working to get things back to normal we'll never forget what you have been through and what we'll continue to go through and um i'm sure your dad would have loved that performance today from Watford just as much as we did just as much as we know you did so keep on keeping on um, we're proud of you and, and uh, this one, uh, this podcast for you, mate. Uh, thank you very much for listening to From the Rookie End. Do tell your friends. Uh, and uh, I think we need just one big unison, lads. Come on, you horns. Come on, you horns. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.